This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. O-M greatness. Welcome to episode one. We're going to be joined by J.P. Sears. Holy moly. Not only is he one of my best friends, but it's fun uh, for me to hear about him from so many other people. Even people that are very inspiring. To see my friendship with JP from going from some someone very few people know about. The people that know about him, obviously, are so blessed. But the, going from that, where our relationship started, to being globally praised. I mean, JP has really big fans. I've walked around towns with him, such as Byron Bay, Australia, or Charleston, South Carolina, or Paia in Maui, and British Columbia, the Sunshine Coast, and Kalispell, Montana, and Costa Rica. The list goes on and on. And when these days, most of the time, when someone recognizes JP, there is a huge reaction from them. And it's and a lot of the times in the form of gratitude. And that is... I'm so grateful that I get to experience that. And that came, I think, with the correlation of JP. JP is so good at taking guidance from anyone, whether he agrees with the person and what they're saying or not, um, that he continuously asks for that with me and others. And I used to tell him how he was a professional eggshell walker. And somehow he's made the transformation from that to just being like a professional eggshell crusher. And where he offends me, he offends me, and I and I love that. We actually made a great video called How to Get Offended, if you care to check that out. So without further ado, and make sure you're following. By the way, if you didn't catch the teaser episode, to go to BreakingNormal.com uh, and go to the podcast section to make sure you're on it to get in on these 12 days of Christmas gifts, three of them including free tickets to Tribe Designs. And you will get to, JP and I get to talk about that, along with so many other things that... I'll just leave the itinerary is to expect anything and experience everything. And one thing I'd be curious about is quick Google search right before I began this intro. The first things that come up on my Google search, and I want everyone to realize that everyone's results on our, our Google searches are not the same as everyone else's. They're personalized based on the the gods of the internet in the way known as algorithms. And it's I think it's another affirmation that we're very likely to see what we're looking for in so many ways. So when I put in JPCRs in my Google the first auto-suggestions are Austin, Wife, Vegan, On It, Ultra Spiritual, YouTube, Wikipedia, Shirts. I'm curious how similar that is to y'all's, and I'd love to, if you want to type in your Google search results on the, as a podcast review, along with what you believe about this connection JP and I decide to have out loud again in so many different forms, that it'll help spread, that it'll help the podcast algorithm and more people to kind of dance with us in this creative, metaphorical, paradoxical, divine communication. And that's my judgment anyways. I would love to hear your judgments. Leave them on the reviews. And maybe you can even leave your Google results of what happens when you search JP. And uh, for regardless of the Google results, who JP is to me is one of my best friends. We spent Deanna's first trimester of her pregnancy with Davina at his house in Charleston. Now we're spending a time of period at his house here in Austin with uh, Davina taking quantum leaps, actually speaking, basically, for the first time. And uh, we definitely have a breaking normal ultra-spiritual connection. And it's a real honor to be able to share this experience with you all. So I'd love to hear what it brings up for you. 
and keep breaking normal, keep being ultra spiritual, and get on that treasure hunt now. It includes a breaking normal ritual that we can all do in the morning together. Check it out at breakingnormal.com slash the podcast section of Breaking Normal. All right, well, here we go. Let's blur some lines. Let's break some normal. Let's do it. Welcome, JP, to the Breaking Normal podcast. I'm putting this on the timer because I believe in the power of time and creative constraints. So let's keep it ultra spiritual at an hour and 11 minutes. The power of the hour and the 11 minute percentile. I'm up for it. All right. I'll start by lighting some Palo Santo and sage. Why do you think people do this? I'm curious about maybe your ultra spiritual satire side and your even a more genuine side if there is one. Yeah, I think the the satire side is people do it because they've seen other people do it. And you know, we're we're kind of all children and parrots and monkeys mimicking what we've seen and I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that and I don't think there's necessarily anything right with it. I think it's cool. But I think like a more genuine answer, I think people light sage Palo Santo because we crave rituals. I think ritual is like a staple of certainty and intentional space created. And it's like intentional intention created. So I would be very curious what your intention is when you light sage and Palo Santo, what it represents for you. I would say um, it's an anchor. It's a a symbol of alchemy. It's um, a symbol of intention. Like, oh, wow, something is happening here that I want to pay extra attention to. Then, yeah, then I, I would say that's definitely why the person named Daniel lights sage and Palo Santo. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people connect to that. I know I do when I do it. And I've heard, I've heard that it cleanses spaces and that like the sage is a feminine cleansing agent where the Palo Santo is more of like a masculine bringing agent. And at that point, I'm going to let that projection be my placebo sometimes too. Yeah, I think that's placebo maybe. And, and I certainly can't verify just like let's just go into an hour 11 on sage i definitely can't verify that it cleanses anything i've definitely heard that too and i've definitely gotten the past little while really i would i would call it free from my my love and light dogmas of hearing like oh that that cleanses your aura and that uh does this to your pineal gland I was finding I was getting really dogmatic about those sort of things and really believing them with certainty because that's what I had heard and I want them to be true. And then I start to like really realize I'm full of crap a lot of the time. And I started to see a lot of things get disproven. So I really enjoy the loosely held non-dogma freedom around like lack of certainty. It's like, uh, I don't know if that does that or not. I I hear that. And you brought up a lot of good topics there. One being that you're full of crap. Uh I pooped before Mm -hmm. this um, podcast. Mm -hmm. And I also remember before skydiving, I really had a poop. Mm, Speaking my love language, which is poop. 
And then I've noticed, I think the skydiving set the anchor. And speaking of anchors, I also want to talk about this thing as an anchor. In my yoga class today, they used one of these. And I think it's, since you brought up the point of rituals and I brought up the point of anchoring, and I thought of that, when I thought of that noise, I thought of ultra spiritual episodes. I also want to circle back to that. So let's plant that seed. But let's first talk about poop. I know you've been on stage a lot the last uh, probably five years especially. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself needing to poop before going into a performance? Man, where was I? <laughs> St. Louis, when I was there doing comedy shows, I don't know, a couple months back, there's a comedian there who is opening for me, and he's phenomenal. His name's Sean Murphy. If you ever get a chance to see Sean Murphy, the comedian, perform, take it. He is amazing. But he d- he was doing what he calls his PSPs, pre-show poops, and I was doing my PSPs, pre-show peas. So I I like going on stage, getting excited. Doesn't make me poop. Makes Sean poop. Apparently makes you poop. But I have to pee. Like within this. Like, let's say it's my first comedy show of the weekend. Like an hour before I go on stage, I'll probably pee five times. And do you have any uh, myth around that that we could explore? Yeah, I I have wondering around it. And I wander into my wondering around it. And I wonder, like, is it like my... Is it me trying to distract myself? Like, let's feel the sensation of pee instead of feeling the sensation of a miracle that's about to happen, this grand opportunity to go connect with hundreds of people. Uh, Maybe uh, feel the sensations of pee instead of feeling the fear of my own expectations that I create and project onto the performance. So I, I... I wouldn't be surprised if the PSPs are a hallucination with very real physiological experience meant to distract me from fears, fears of greatness, fears of uh, expectations, fears of fear. But yeah, I'm curious your thought on it. Oh, man. I think it's something to do with uh, like the fight or flight response. And... Well, it bring it reminds me of the story that my dad told me um, that he had a bunch of sheep in Montana once with his car, and right before he did, all this poop splattered on his window. And I think it's a response right before someone dies, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think whenever someone's on the verge of a big breakthrough, their old self is about to die. Yeah. And I also so resonate with the. <laughs> peeing aspect not personally but more being aware of it through our tribe designs which i also want to circle back to so we got a lot of circles to do (laughs) Um, almost dizzy at this point (laughs) the a lot of times when i would judge someone to be having a major breakthrough they seem to need to go to the bathroom and a lot of times it's peeing i think maybe sometimes they want to go poop actually yeah and they don't want to admit that so they say they need to go to the bathroom or they need to go pee yeah and and I want to also talk about why is poop so embarrassing? Another seed. We have a whole farm to, to harvest by the end, by this hour in eleven minutes. Um, so I'm also very curious about it, and I don't know again. Yeah, it 
and I've experienced that too, being in intimate circles. I think some of them at Tribe Design where someone's having a breakthrough, which oftentimes means they're being challenged and they don't like it, or someone's opening up a topic that someone really needs to hear about. So there's potential for a breakthrough and someone needs to be, I got to go to the bathroom. In my experience of that, as well as like my pre-show things, like you don't need to pee. Like you, there's been times where pre-comedy show, the bathroom setup is not convenient. Like I'd, I'd have to walk through the audience and like, you know, be consumed by people when I really want to be focused and, and getting into my zone myself. So I just won't pee. And like, I don't pee myself because I don't have to pee, but I want to pee. And I have the sensations of needing to pee. And I think it's the same thing when someone's like, here comes a breakthrough. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I want to circle back. Call me demented. I think it's hilarious. Your dad hit a bunch of sheep. Like I could like, to me, it's not funny hitting one sheep, but for him to hit like a flock of sheep, like multiple sheep at one time. What's I, that is funny. And I'm also curious, how did he come to pass and hit a lot of sheep with his car? All right. So my dad, uh, especially I'm imagining this time when he was like driving across Montana, he would have probably make my guilt about using certain substances embarrassing. That could be a part of it. Also, he could have been driving a really crappy car with not the greatest brakes. And also that might have been time, the time around where the myth of like not having a speed limit in Montana was like a fun thing. Okay. So I think it was a combination. <laughs> like I just imagine like his car's totaled and the cops come like, what happened? He's like, I hit 37 sheep. It's like, well, why didn't you stop? There's a, a lot of sheep. I couldn't. I just hit 37 sheep. <laughs> and now I gave my son the story of poop hitting the windshield full circle. And I was talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I think it had something. I think he told me that because one day we were talking about death or some maybe suicide or something with my dad. Uh, my dad's pretty – he's not as scared to go straight to it. He has, he's not a beat-around-the-bush type of guy, and that topic came up. And for whatever reason, he was saying that um, right before someone kills themselves or dies, they usually poop. I've definitely heard that about involuntary death. I, I didn't know it about suicide. No, that's not surprising. And now I'm wondering if I made that part up, not to make light of suicide, but to make light sure. of my memory. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now let's circle back to the uh, pooping thing. I think we were just talking about poop. And the, what happens before it, though? Farting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So farting. Uh, that's an. I have. I'm sincerely concerned about how many people hold their farts, especially mm-hmm. women, and how correlated it might be to irritable bowel syndrome or whatever mm-hmm. label you want to put to a stomach ache. Have you found yourself hiding farts and have you, do you know, do you, are you aware of the consequences that has for you? I don't fart often. And I will say when I'm eating a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem to be good for me, then I'll fart more. So if I could throw into the poop on the table, which is fertilizer for more progressive thought, I would I would say that maybe something to be as concerned about, maybe more, maybe less, is 
what are you doing to yourself that makes you need to fart a lot in the first place like that there's probably room for upgrades there and then yeah then what uh restricting shame avoiding the experience of shame i think is what happens when in the past when i've had to fart and i don't um and you know on the light side i think there's also a consideration (laughs) man i've been on an airplane next to people who i get very resentful for real fast when they have this onslaught of fart after fart after fart and I don't care if it would take eight years off their lifespan. I would very much wish either they hold their farts in or they jump out of the airplane. And I I think that's probably an extreme situation. So kind of like back into the place of balance. Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of people want to avoid a sense of shame. So they potentially constipate themselves the wind of life that wants to go through them. On that note, do you think there's a cost to avoiding shame? Like, what do you think the general cost to avoiding shame may be? Oh, I think that's emotional constipation. I think that's a big cost. I think to avoid shame means we strangulate ourselves. We The, the psychological sphincter constricts so that we don't feel how we actually feel. And when we're avoiding shame, it doesn't mean we're actually avoiding it. It means we're, uh, according to my point of view, it means we're avoiding feeling the feeling that's already inside of us. So we have shame about our shame, so we avoid it. And when we avoid feeling the feeling that's already inside of us, we don't have awareness of it, but it's there. Just like if you ate food three years ago and haven't pooped it out, chances are you don't have awareness of that food that's inside of you right now. Yet we can realize that food that you ate three years ago is rotting you. Like it probably gave you good nutrition for a couple days, but then it started rotting you because you weren't allowing the food to move through you just like our emotions want to move through us. That's an E-dash motion, energy in motion. I think our emotions are very healthy for us when they're in motion. That doesn't mean they always feel good, like shame feels crappy. But I think it's healthy when we feel our shame that we're actually having inside of us because I think that means it's moving through us. It, we're emotionally digesting it. Yet when we take the emotion, the energy out of motion, strangulate it, we've made ourselves emotionally constipated. And I think that means we're suffocating ourselves. I think it means we avoid doing things, being ourselves. We avoid saying things that will trigger that feeling that's already inside of us. So we start living in a very one-dimensional way, essentially trying to avoid what's inside of ourselves, which is, I I would call that a living hell. I, I don't think shame hurts anybody, even though it's uncomfortable. I think avoiding shame hurts all of us some of the time. The question is, do we know it? then do we have the courage to do something about it, which means look in the dragon of our shame and stop avoiding it and feel it and and have a breakthrough where it doesn't, you know, we don't feel strong right away. We feel weak as hell. We feel unworthy because we're feeling our shame. But to me, that's looking the dragon in the eyes and becoming the hero of our own life because that means we have the courage to face what's inside of us so we don't have to avoid it on the outside and avoiding on the outside what's inside of us means we're going to avoid being ourselves.
from my point of view. I'm happy I asked. Thank you. Yeah, I'm curious because I know you have a lot of experience with feelings and getting uncomfortable and fun comfortable. I'm curious what you have to add to the topic of shame avoidance and shame embracing. Thanks, thanks. Um, well, it, well, I was thinking about a lot of the time when you were going through the shame ditty, which I very much appreciate. I I had um, thoughts about the tenses you were speaking in, like we and you, and we can circle back to that later. I just want to make sure that we're both farming together. But I was thinking of Davina, and I was thinking, like, does she have shame? I don't think she has shame, and I'm wondering if that's why I'm so – one of the infinite reasons I'm – Davina is my daughter. She's almost two, and um, I don't think she has shame. I don't think she has shame. So then I started thinking about, like, where, what is shame and where does it come from? And that's what I wanted to flip back on you if I can. Well, I'd love to add some delusional opinion <laughs> onto that wise please question. Do, please do. Yeah, what is shame? My, my definition of it, acknowledge it, I don't give a crap what the dictionary definition is because, like, I want to honor our minds, not like what someone wrote. 50 years ago is that when the english language was created like about 50 years ago created dictionaries my definition of shame is it's an emotion where we feel unworthy and then shame creates sensations of unworthiness through our bodies so and, and where it comes from is i think perceptions we have where we make ourselves feel unworthy about our perceptions, about what's going on. And I think that could be as benign as, like, go back to childhood. We've all had one where we wanted to be picked up by our mom and dad. And maybe they were busy, couldn't pick us up. Maybe they didn't want to pick us up. And we reached for them. They didn't reach back. They, they turned their back on us, did uh, other things. In that moment, we probably felt unworthy. Uh, uh, and I'll own it. I'll say I would feel unworthy. I'd feel shame. I wouldn't have the vocabulary to say, Mom, I'm two and I feel unworthy. But I would feel shame in that moment. Now, I'd probably process that shame pretty quick, and it wouldn't stick with me. And, and other examples might be we might have been abused physically, sexually, uh, emotionally, and we might feel a bigger degree of shame. Like, wow, someone's violating my emotions or my body and I don't know how to stop it or I can't stop it. I feel unworthy. I feel ashamed. And yeah, and then other times like I, I'll I'll just land this with an adult example. I remember I it wasn't my first time, probably my second or third time doing public speaking. Like I was leading like an hour, hour and a half workshop and a minute into it, I forgot everything I was going to say. I was just blank. I felt immense shame. I felt so unworthy in that moment. And it was just like, oh, hot in my body. So anyway, those were perceptions I had where I, not consciously yet at some level, I made myself feel unworthy. All right. All right. I'm gonna, I want to also now circle back to guilt, what the difference between guilt and shame is. But before we do, what uh, you you said because you forgot everything you were gonna say. For some reason, I almost for myself 
I uh, I like to go into a performance almost not knowing anything I'm going to say. And I'm wondering if you've transitioned to that. Like, what what is your beliefs around when you show up to as a performer? What you're coming to to kind of remember what you said versus what you don't know what you're going to say. Is there a balance? What's your yeah. beliefs on that? I'm super curious. Yeah. Well, that I I always go back to that time when I was 22, maybe 21. That ah, oh, froze up. Don't know what I'm going to say. I go back to that because one that taught me many things. One of the things was the most valuable thing to for me to do when I'm speaking in front of people, be it one or a thousand or more is be connected to who's in front of me. Because when I look back at that time, I'm 21, I'm frozen up. I was completely disconnected from the people in front of me searching, trying to connect with what I premeditated. I was supposed to say, so like I'm not being present and and I think there's something to be like, be well prepared, feel free to have like a structure, certainly an intention, what you want to teach people, some takeaways, like not a indictment, be unprepared. Yet the whole thing was like, JP, this premeditated crap ain't for you. So now anytime I hear someone, especially TED Talks, where most of the time a TED Talk person is giving a very rehearsed speech, like rehearsed in the sense of word for word, it's scripted. And they might as well not even be there because they're not in the moment. They are they are running through the script in their mind. And there's nothing wrong with that, yet it makes me want to throw up in my mouth when I hear it. And, and I don't find it interesting. So being connected to the people in front of you was one of the biggest things that thing taught me. That's why, you know, I I don't know, what the heck it was a month ago, I was on stage in front of a couple thousand people in an event in Toronto. The idea of walking on stage, knowing what I want to give, but not knowing what I'm going to say, that is, that's the sweet spot for me. I think that's some golden advice, mm. golden perspective. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I definitely am inspired by that. I like the uh, note coming in to, uh, a performance of sorts or a keynote speech or a facilitation, knowing what I want my takeaways to be. And then I, I've almost been dogmatic the other way of not wanting to know what I'm going to say so I can, so I can be inspired too. And kind of, I, I feel like I do best sometimes when I'm not, when I'm blacked out yeah. in the moment. <laughs> and that, sometimes there is alcohol somewhat involved in that. And that, we'll get to the rituals and the guilt <laughs> soon about that. I think a so, nice amount, but we'll talk about that more. You yeah, given his speech being blacked out on alcohol. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that's maybe one way to do it. Oh, yeah. Let me uh, – on that case, in case someone may have thought that, I meant blacked out because I was so, like, nervous slash excited that I didn't – I forgot everything I wanted to say. Yeah. And then something lived through me, and I felt like a puppeteer. Yeah, not not blackout, drunk, passed out. No, Look at no. Daniel. He started throwing up, and he's not conscious. Like, I've, I just had a break. Through. Although I do, I've I've found a, an anchoring mechanism from uh, many anchoring mechanisms for rituals that I've felt guilt about, like a beer or two before doing that, mm -hmm. and how I've used that as an anchor over the years. Um, and on that note, I want to talk about what do you think the difference between guilt and shame are? Is there a difference, and how are they connected? 
Yeah, yeah. One, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think oftentimes we feel guilt and shame at the same time. It's like, which are you feeling? Probably both. Uh, in in a definition I've heard, which I love, it it lands with me from my good friend. You know him. You you're friends with him, John McMullen. Uh, he he differentiates the two. Guilt is feeling wrong for something you did, and shame is a sense of feeling wrong for who you are. So shame is, I am something wrong. I'm wrong for who I am. Guilt is, I did something wrong. And, you know, it, by the way, I, I think there's healthy guilt and shame. Like, you know, if you steal something from someone, I think it's so healthy to feel guilty about that. It's, I don't want to vilify any of the emotions. What I will vilify, if we're going to, like, make something into the demonic, manic joker, the avoidance of the emotions is what I'll vilify and shaming emotions, having an emotional charge about an emotion. I'll vilify that. Like if we get angry at our anger, if we get ashamed of our anger, ashamed of our shame, afraid of our shame, then I think we've just vilified our emotions. And I think I'll vilify vilifying our emotions so I can feel like, but I do do that compassionately, not shamefully. I've heard that um, as the feedback loop from hell when someone is mm. angry about being angry, sad about being sad, shame. It's a good that. way to say it. I think feedback it was from Mark Manson. From um, like that. The art of not giving up. Mm-hmm. I don't need to feel guilty about saying the F word. Mm-hmm. Do it or do I? You li- you said F word. I said it. Um, I man, that's a perfect way to say it. The feedback loop from hell. Well, and this is where the, the where I would say the feedback loop from heaven is. You can quote me on this one because it's happening right now. About to, about to judge your judgments. Mm-hmm. I think that's one to do to be to do double. So, so rather you're... than rather than like getting so caught up in my judgments about you or me, yeah, to get really caught up in judging my judgments. Okay, so if you were judging your judgments, how might that look? Okay, let's. So if I was thinking that there was someone that was I did not want to connect with or someone that I thought I thought less of I, I thought they had an issue or I thought they had a problem or I I, lo- I was looking at them as a inferior being <laughs> compared to what they could be yeah um and rather than believing that I like to start judging that thought mm. so what I think I heard you say is you're judging the judgment is freeing yourself from the original judgment maybe it doesn't go away yet you use the second judgment to question the first judgment open it up and kind of ask like i don't want to be around that person well is that true like am i is my assessment of that person actually accurate yeah and what i mean by judgment is forming an opinion so i guess what i'm talking about is probably a self-analysis or um maybe meta is that is that the same thing as meta when someone thinks about their thoughts I I don't know. I don't know. Phrase. I don't know if I'm smart enough to know how other people use the word meta, but it sounds like the way people would use that term. Awesome. On that note, I feel like we really we dove down a rabbit trail. So let's let's reset. And on that note, we're circling back. Like I said, we would. I'm a man of my word most of the time. My the yoga teacher today was talking about like. The vibrations, they're going into space. Hear them go into space and hear them disappear and go into nothing. 
fade away. And then I also was thinking about how you've used this almost like it's like Pavlov's dog for an ultra spiritual video. What do you have any? How did this idea come to be the intro? Is it still the intro to your ultra spiritual videos? Yeah, most of them. And what do you think about that? Do you think um, you're conditioning people to like you're conditioning people to like I condition myself to be pay more attention with Palo Santo and Sage? Do you think you're conditioning your audience to pay more attention to what you're saying by having a audio cue? And it, what do you think the spiritual benefits of this is? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think there's conditioning of the audience. I would dare say the Tibetan bowl near the beginning of my videos and at the ends has become like a an auditory dimension of part of my brand. And it just kind of in the beginning, the first video I did, I'm like, well, let me grab a bowl and do this at the beginning because it was called how to be ultra spiritual. So let's do some spiritual looking stuff here. And then the second one is like, oh, that was kind of cool. Let me do that again. And then after a while, it's like, oh, and that's maybe part of the brand now. So let me keep doing that. And and now in hindsight, it certainly wasn't foresight, but in hindsight, I now I think I think that's a good idea to keep doing because I think it lets people know like, yeah, this is a JP video and this is kind of the 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 video series that you've grown to know and love. Or if you hate it, cool, hear the sound and know this is a video series you've grown to resent and hate. Okay, okay. On that note, we got the topic of TED Talks. And I actually not only had the honor of I think I was I'm going to claim catalyzing the TED talk you chose to do in Encinitas, California, and being arguably late to it <laughs> and breaking through the doors in a way, arguably, they let me in when I used my power of influence. And I got to see you do your TED talk. I don't know how planned it was. But when I was sitting in the audience, I was like, oh, this is because I was wanting you to write the forward to Breaking Normal. And I was like, this is the forward to Breaking Normal. And now I want to know, I don't know if I've ever asked you that, how much of your TED Talk was planned and what was, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, so my TED Talk, which was done in Encinitas, California, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. And you can check it out on YouTube. Just type in JP Sears TEDx. Uh, I forget the name of it. I think it was something about weirdness. So, something about weirdness. I'm imagining maybe embrace your weirdness. I I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. So anyway, you can check it out. You if blacked you want. out. Yep. You're drunk. And you know the I would say I was incredibly well prepared and very unrehearsed for the TED talk. And what makes my experience of the preparation what was important was just having so much time speaking in front of people, feeding off that, thriving, connecting to the audiences in front of me rather than disconnecting and just being a flesh suit that makes words. So that was part of the preparation. And then, you know, living the message. And it's also a message that I've been teaching for a while. So I think the preparation was good. And the you know, I would say the rehearsal was zero rehearsal. In fact, they, they offered a day of rehearsal the day before. And, you know, I just, I was like, no, that, I'm not going to that. That's not 
not my thing. Um, so I had four bullet points for the TED Talk. And the other thing Do I... Do you remember those four bullet points? No. Okay. No. That was um, probably like King Warrior Lover Magician. <laughs> could have been. So I, I memorized the four bullet points because those were my guiding lights because I wanted to, you know, give people some laser coherence rather than chaotic, try to find my place sort of stuff. And, th and then the other thing that was fortunate for me is I talked to the TED Talk organizers and because my talk was going, I was going last, uh, they said, Jay, I, I said, all right, 18 minute time frame, which normally TED Talks are incredibly strict about. I said, how important is it for you guys uh, for me to end at 18 minutes? And they said, oh, you're the last talk of the day. Not very important. I said, cool. So I, I think my, you know, I aim for 18 minutes. I think it ended up being 27 minutes. So it, it was, that was helpful to me uh, to know that I had a freedom to, to, I guess, go where I wanted to go in the moment. I think one of the things that I don't like about giving short talks, which is why I, I very rarely give like a short, here's a 10 minute talk or here's a 20 minute talk is you have to be very efficient with your words. And I think that's why a lot of people who give short talks are very rehearsed, very memorized. It's so they can, it's like their goal number one is make the talk 18 minutes exactly. And it's like, well, that's not my important first goal, if that makes sense. And, and, I, and I, I don't want to be in an environment where that has to be the first goal. I love it. I love it. Now we get to keep upward spiraling back to one of the original seeds planted, which is time. Mm. What do you think time is? And do you think time is um, made up from man? You said made up for man? From man from and for man. Man. I don't think I don't think it's made up for man or from man or woman. I think we observe the made upness of time that's probably made up for all of life. And I think life is a, or it, I, I think time is an illusion to quote, probably Einstein. I think it's an illusion that allows us to have a relative experience uh, so that we can, ha we can feel more, think more, experience more emotion. Um, yeah, time, it, you know how you and I, or you, I think use the term more than I do, creative constraints, where, you know, we have the creative constraint of this podcast, one hour, 11 minutes. And it's, you, beauty comes from creative constraints. I know oftentimes when I've got like a time deadline, it's like I, tomorrow I'm shooting three videos tomorrow morning and none of them are completely written so it's like all right i've got a creative constraint on that so the constraint somehow creates a pressure for something to blossom and i would dare say it's kind of like you know there the bud needs pressure in order for it to blossom so i think like time is a creative constraint for life so that more meaning can be experienced and 
more purpose can be experienced. And, you know, the shadow side stuff too, like, you know, time, like grief, sadness, all, all those things, fear, those will come up too. Yet we couldn't have meaning. We couldn't have a sense of purpose without those things too. We couldn't have happiness without those things too. So I think honestly, the illusion of time is really a gift. And I, I think it's something that people observe. And I think when we observe it, we get a little meta about it so that we can have one foot in and one foot out and not be completely swamped by the illusion. Mm, okay, okay. And? So that we don't take ourselves too seriously. And? So you got that time. We got that time. I like what you said about the time with the creative constraints are a beautiful illusion in a way. Yeah. And but I also heard you saying without words, and I love how you can hear beyond what's being said as well, by the way. Please spray me in the face. That's a good that's a good cue to, for people to watch the video as well, in case this is only audio for you now. The video <laughs> version too. Oh, speaking of that camera, one of those cameras is probably way off. Oh, that's been off for a while. Should I, uh, maybe I'll text you in a camera in the meantime. <laughs> um, so there's beauty in creative constraints in the sense, like you just bragged about in a way for yourself. But at the same time, you're bragging about breaking the rules of the creative constraints. So I'm wondering, what do you think about breaking rules, including laws? Mm. Well, I will quote Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I shared this with you, man, this would have been four years ago, probably in Carlsbad when we were going to some gym. No, it was uh, the YMCA in Encinitas. I don't know why I remember that, but I definitely do. In a parking lot, I shared with you because I just watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger video. In it, he says, for success, break all the rules, but don't break the laws. So I think breaking the rules is... You could take it literally and probably meet success at least some of the time and probably lack of success some of the time. So I wouldn't be dogmatic about breaking the literal rules, but I would be very uh, intent on breaking the rules in the symbolic sense, which in other words to me means breaking normal. I think rules stand for normalcy. And I think, you know, breaking the rules that that's like, yeah, breaking out of the cocoon that we're in, breaking out of the the constraint that's no longer serving us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because I I know you have a, a delightfully defiant streak in you. And I'd be curious your thought on breaking rules and any guidelines you have around that yeah well i think anytime uh nature is outlawed that's something to be suspicious of so anytime <clears throat> another man tells me what i can or can't do with what i already find out in the wilderness or wherever i find it i'm just i'm suspicious of it hmm when, it, when another human tries to regulate how you interface or don't interface with nature. Yeah, that's yeah. a suspicious thing, including being naked, including eating certain plants, whether they're flowers or mushrooms. Um, yeah, something I'm highly concerned about, actually. Yeah. And what I will say is that I look at it as a creative constraint. 
because a lot of the things that there are laws against, like let's say uh, mushrooms, uh, let's say mushrooms that are called magic mushrooms or psychedelic mushrooms, I think that it's good for someone to know that they're go they're potentially going on a hero's journey. They have to break the law. Yeah. <laughs> and they're partnering with this plant that might or not a plant, it's not even a plant, it's a mushroom. It's different than plants, different than an animal, according to the categories of our culture. Um, that this partnership might bring up some crazy stuff or yeah. some intimidating things or some things that the average Joe that's been conditioned by culture um and forgot their natural roots that it might be overwhelming so it might be good to have like that law to break to even partner with that entity known as a mushroom or a magic mushroom so i'm i'm yeah I'm, i love laws i love laws and i love rules and i love breaking rules yeah yeah and i'm very grateful for the rules <clears throat> probably even more grateful for the laws though it, you know outlawing nature and some of the things we could look at wrote that law was created because big pharma influenced the government. It's like, yeah, there's like some laws where it's like, I'm not a big fan of that particular one, but the idea of laws in general, I think they, they, they keep us safe uh, primarily from ourselves. Uh, Cause I think unfortunately we need that and maybe rules do the same. And I love your thought on, you know, you, you have to, go through the trial and the tribulation of breaking the law. There's consequences to that and how that actually creates heat in the sweat lodge for the hero's journey. I think it, yeah, I, I love your perspective on that. Yeah. Because some of those laws that I think they're being broken, it's the least of the worries of the cops or you. Right. Or, like, or, or the law itself. There's a bigger concern, and that's what the consequences of you breaking that law, which might be extremely empowering as well. Can I ask, what's the <laughs> the most, I'll call it severe form of breaking the law that you think you've ever done? <laughs> well, it's so funny you're asking me that because I, as you know, I love. I'm almost obsessed with being transparent. Yeah, and I, I create a law or a rule for myself that I don't know if it's uh, healthy for me to be transparent about certain things in a public forum because some that. people are brainwashed into enforcing the matrix. I bet that could be true. And it's a, I'm wow, what a good topic because we we invite people to. And this could be a rationalization. Um, what have I been charged? I was charged for reckless driving once. Yeah. I flipped my mom's Lincoln LS, like all pimped out down the school bus lane, attempting. I actually proved my physics teacher wrong of the speed I could take a curve. <laughs> at 30, I did it. I proved him wrong. He said 33. I did 35. And then I wanted to take it a step farther. And I did 40. And then I found out what it's like to take a curve too fast with a cliff on the other edge. Wow. Yeah. And that was a life-changing experience for sure. That was a that was uh, an experience of me realizing that my actions have consequences. I was in some sort of uh, – as long as I followed the rules of my parents, I was under some sort of um, fearless, like delusionally fearless mindset. Hmm. That's crazy, man. 18-year-old boys, or I, was, I don't know what I was, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, those guys you got to watch out for. I would agree with that. Wow, wow. Yeah, and I would, thank you for sharing that, and I would also endorse, yeah, full transparency 
in every public forum, I think like that's that's definitely a dogma to really check. And I love how you check that. And I think there's a reason why some things when you're maybe at a tribe design retreat, you're sitting around a fire sharing. There's a reason why that's not broadcast on YouTube or Facebook for everybody to listen to. There's a reason why at times you're talking with Deanna and that conversation is for you and Deanna. And that particular transparency is for just you guys. Because 100%, anything can be taken out of context as well as someone, you know, their 30, 40, 50 years of conditioning shapes their perception of how they hear something. So, yeah, I think that discernment of, I think transparency is great. And discernment of when to be transparent and how transparent is great also. Yeah, on that note, on the public forum, I did a Google search, actually, of your name right before this, because I was thinking, like, that might be a fun thing to uh, explore the top trending things around the J.P. Sears name. Mm -hmm. And um, although my phone's freezing right now, one thing that definitely came up was when I typed in J.P. Sears in Google, and I would love for other people to type this in, because I don't think all Googles are created equally. I, like, I think if when I type in – when I type in my Google, is different – it'll have different results <laughs> – <laughs> what you type in your Google. They're watching us. Now, that's nuts. I don't know if you call that the law of attraction or you see what you're looking for or something even scarier. But when I typed in your name, one thing that came up was J.P. Sears' wife. Yeah. I would love – I would love to I, – I don't know. What does that bring up for you? What do you want to talk about with about Amber since we're here in her office anyways? That we are. We're, we're in her den. Yeah, my beautiful wife, who's in Thailand in this time that we're speaking, which is funny. Right when you were saying that, I looked at my phone and saw I had a message from her. <laughs> right when I looked at my phone, I saw a bunch of sevens. So we can talk yeah. about the one 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 ones and seven seven sevens maybe this time or another time. But let's let's see what we have to say about Amber for now. Yeah, she her presence is definitely a gift in my life for so many reasons, and and. Also, what comes up is about my wife is gratitude for you because you are the reason why I met my wife, Amber. Amber and I were both guest teachers at a tribe design retreat, guest facilitators, uh, the tribe design retreat, New Year's in Costa Rica, New Year's 2017. So I didn't know who Amber was before that and rocked up to Costa Rica swatting mosquitoes and got blindsided with the universe's slapping the mosquito allergy right out of me and waking me up to my future wife. So thank you for helping me meet my wife. Yeah, no, um, Amber for me is uh, super powerful. I met Amber yeah. years before I guess you met her. Yeah, you did. And I, uh, it was I think it was at a, either an Equinox or a Lifetime Fitness in San Francisco, which I, is a whole other topic. Would have been Equinox. <laughs> it was Equinox. It might have been LA Fitness at the time. They I think did it was Equinox. Okay. I think yeah. I remember doing um, the Pilates machine with her, and I was I was like wanting to show off. I'm like, oh, look at me do the Superman ab workout, <laughs> and she was like blowing my mind too. So it was fun, and I was like, wow, what a cool person. Person. And eventually I found out she was in Costa Rica doing retreats. And um, what kind of retreats does she do in Costa Rica? So she, yeah, she does a few different styles. The main one she does most frequently would be what I would call an ayahuasca retreat. So she, 
her retreats are, I think, five days. And it's like three days of, two days of adventure, like go see some amazing waterfalls while you get super freaking anxious and scared about the ayahuasca ceremonies that are going to be the final couple of days. And, and then she's got a very reputable shaman, a lady who uh, facilitates the ayahuasca ceremonies. I've gone through an ayahuasca ceremony with her. I am the most skeptical person I know when it comes to people serving quote unquote medicines, any kind of psychedelic, any kind of uh, mind altering substance. So I, I'm super skeptical. And I just, I think the world of this lady that Amber work, works with has uh, as an integral part of her ayahuasca retreats. Hey, nice, nice. That's great to talk about. I have never partaked in ayahuasca, but I know Deanna is desiring to do that potentially in Costa Rica. As oh yeah, well. with Amber at one of her retreats, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so. And uh, on that note, all right. So let's talk about fear, shame, guilt, ayahuasca. You said putting buds under pressure, incriminating evidence, all that and more. Let's bring it full circle. <laughs> and uh, at one point, I had a podcast. I don't think it's active anymore. It was much less professionally produced. So I like that we're taking a quantum leap and the sincerity of our synergy. Yeah. Um, but I remember doing uh, one of the podcasts that I uploaded a long time ago. I can find it if people are interested. It was a coaching set. I did I. I believe I invested in a coaching session with you. And I, yes. I that's one of the things that comes up when I type in J.P. Sears is the very top thing is J.P. Sears Life Coach. Hmm. So I, did a, I invested in a life coaching session with J.P. And one of the things that I've definitely – I realized when – according to your definition of guilt and shame, I'm going to add a few more emotions, taboo emotions. I'm, pri- I'm prideful. I'm proud to admit that I don't think I've felt much shame according to that definition. Mm-hmm. But for guilt, I think I've felt a lot. Mm-hmm. And particularly evolved around buds under pressure, um, the sacred herb, and I'm not going to be too incriminating, but also what Bob Marley and many geniuses sing about. Um, also fermented buds known as beers. I've recently got into kratom. And sometimes I don't even think about it in coffee. And I think about like, uh, I, I, I grew up in an environment where my parents let me do anything, and this is where the car story kind of comes into it as well. I have my parents. As long as I didn't do drugs, what yeah. they called drugs, I was good in their eyes. And that was like a good, I'm doing good. Yeah. And I've found myself like over the last decade like creating rituals around doing those things. Whether it's the coffee they're not crazy about. They, that doesn't matter to them. But like uh, cannabis and beer would. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm an expert user of the like a user of these substances. I don't know if I still am, but I I love them. I love plants. I love partnering with plants, especially ones that are outlawed in certain parts. But I've also felt uh, guilt about them continuously, and I've rationalized that guilt like it keeps me as a um, a moderate user rather than losing control. Yeah. But I remember you you t- talked to me about that at one point, and I'm wondering if you have any advice for me. Um, around that topic? Well, first thing that comes up is don't guilt yourself for guilting yourself around it. It's like, it's okay to create guilt for yourself on a daily basis when you're having a beer or using cannabis. Like, cool, you're guilting yourself. It's fine. And 
uh, I would also say, and I think I'm about to get in my head. So I think what I'm about to say from here is pretty useless to, to our hearts. But part of me feels like it might be interesting, even though I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. Just have that vibe. So if what I heard you say is you think your parents pretty well disapprove of how you use cannabis or beer as rituals. Is that true? Those specifically, yes. I've done other things that they would be disapproved of, but I haven't done them as consistently of those as those two. Cool. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a part of you that feels emotionally connected to your parents on a daily basis via the umbilical cord of guilt. Because when, if it was me, there I would be inside of myself, you know, drinking in beer and like, and, and of course the voice of our parents always with us and they disapprove of this. And then we feel guilty because like I'm doing something they disapprove of, which makes us feel like we're in their proximity, makes us feel like we're emotionally connected to them. So the emotional connection here is guilt. And, you know, I know you're the way you and Deanna travel, you see your parents probably anywhere from a couple times a year to zero times a year. And you're a needy person, just like everybody else. And you need connection with your parents. You need emotional connection with your parents. And and I don't know the best way for you to do that, yet I wouldn't be surprised if one of the prime ways you do that is part of you says, let me do stuff my parents feel guilty about because that creates a strong emotion relative to my parents, what I'm doing relative to what they would think of me. And if that's true, nothing wrong with it. See that you're doing it. But anyway, I, I so that it's like less hypothetical and less me projecting, if it was me, Daniel, I'd be curious how that bounces off you, true, false, somewhere in the middle. Okay, yeah. I've brought this up. I like, yeah, I've brought this up to in multiple different settings. And I would say that, yeah, like that idea resonates maybe more than anything else I've heard. Yeah. Cool. The, it, I, the general idea around that it's me maintaining some sort of emotional charge slash connection around my with slash around my parents. Yeah. I, my judgment of you is you're not an addict. That's my judgment of you. Like maybe you are and I'm just in denial. <laughs> but, you know, for as long as I've known you, you've always had a beer or two a night on rare occasions that might be three beers, but it's usually two beers a night. And then you have a ritual around cannabis that's newer on the scene the past couple of years or so. And, and I think what you, from my point of view, what you love connecting to more than beer is your parents. I think you're addicted to your parents, uh, human condition hashtag. So I, I, I would guess that's, that's, um, important to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Life coach JP Sears. Mm. Google said that's what I am. So let's see what else Google says. You are as we're getting close six minutes away from the hour. It says JP Sears vegan. 
<laughs> well, right below wife. I, and once again, if someone's, I would love if, if whether you're commenting on a podcast or whatever it is, like to comment what shows up when you type in JP Sears in Google. I'm curious. I'll pull it up because mine says JP Sears Life Coach, JP Sears Austin, JP Sears Wife, JP Sears Vegan, JP Sears Wiki. So we've covered the wife. We've covered life coaching in a way. Here we are in Austin. And I would love to talk. To, I would love to talk to you about Austin a little bit. But I'm 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 curious about the vegan section. This is what I mean. Like when you type in the Google oh. search bar, what is it? The autofill. That's what I mean by that. Not when you. I find this so fascinating. The algorithms, the gods. Oh of the yeah, internet. mine's a little different. Flat Earth video first after JP Sears Life Coach, and then vegan didn't make it on yours. Great. Yeah, we've got JP Sears Austin, JP Sears Wikipedia, JP Sears Wife. We're creating okay. a lot of good uh, memes okay. and triggers and anchors around JP Sears right now. <laughs> the title. So let's uh, the vegan video. Well, I'll say about uh, we're vegan. I don't know. You've probably done multiple things around veganism. Yeah. Okay. Um. Especially, it's funny too that I'm here. That I I have a freezer here at JP Sears house in Austin, which we'll get to talk about because it's on Google. That I bought when I was staying at his house in Charleston. I think when we were three month, two months pregnant. Deanna was two months pregnant yeah. with Davina. Is that correct? Uh, I don't. She, we, did, she, you guys didn't know she was pregnant. But we bought it, and then we found out she was pregnant. Is that Sounds correct? about right. Okay. Yeah. So that, funny enough, we were using that freezer as a polar plunging device during that time. But now we're using it to be the opposite of vegan. Since I went on my first hunt <laughs> a couple of days ago to store my meat, and you're drinking out of the mug that you were drinking out of on the vegan video, the orca whale mug. Wow, full circle. Here we are. So veganism. Oh, all right, let me. What can we? There's so much to talk about. I used to be a raw vegan. I used to call myself a raw vegan, raw bra. Yeah. Um, and lately, I've been eating. Majority of my calories have came from an animal that I killed myself. What's your? What, I mean, I've thought about that. Maybe uh, certain people are from bonobos, and some people are from chimpanzees. Like yeah. I was, I've gone so far. I'm so twisted around this idea. I'm like, man, some people seem to thrive on a vegan diet, yeah. and some people seem to thrive on the opposite of that. And they're both like inspiring to me, and sometimes they're both scary to me. Yeah, yeah. I, if I were to conclude anything it would be the conclusion of we're different like that it it makes me laugh it really makes me laugh and i think it's ridiculous i have judgment about it that some people are still mind setting their way around trying to find the one thing that will work for everybody that's like finding the one woman that every man should marry it's like let's realize we're all full of shit on that okay you know and i look no further than my wife she's been eating a vegan diet for i think nine years and i mean i've never done her medical analysis but she seems to do pretty well on it mm -hmm. and and i eat uh i eat a vegan diet and i eat a meat eating diet simultaneously uh and i eat stuff in between and at times i eat different diets and i tend to do pretty well on that and you're seemingly doing pretty well on the shoot an animal and eat it diet. And for a while, when you were doing the raw vegan, not the whole time, but for a while, you were doing pretty well on it. Then you did pretty awful on it. Yeah, yeah, that's I love that. I'm happy I asked. And let's talk about the thing now on the Breaking Normal topic. I had vegan in my Google search results show up one of the top ones, but you didn't. What you had that I did not have was the flat earth. 
Yeah, you were staying at my house when I filmed that too. Okay, so do you what do do you think what shape do you honestly believe the Earth is? Globe. Globe. So like an egg or a circle or a sphere, an egg or uh, a sphere. Like a not like a perfect circle nor a perfect egg. I think kind of more egg e. Now I will say I don't think we landed on the moon. Like, like I don't have certainty about that. All I know is that's what I think. I don't think I we've landed on the moon, and I think the Earth is round, like the flat Earth conspiracy. I made the video because I think it's fun. Yet, yeah, I think the Earth is round. I made a moon landing conspiracy video called I think I think I called it Thirteen Reasons Why the Moon Landing Was Fake. And I looked at that video afterwards. I don't think there was anything funny about that. I think it was like everything I put in there. I exaggerated some of it for comedic effect, but I'm like, yeah, man, I, I don't think we landed on the moon. Okay, I'm happy. I asked that. I'm, 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 I'm proud of my question. Do you too. think we landed on the moon, Daniel? Because oh, we're not friends if we dis if you disagree with me man, anymore. I feel so unopinionated about it. I feel like I don't know, but at this point, if I had to guess, I would say probably not. We're friends. <laughs> and I didn't do that to become friends with you, but I'm happy. I'm we were happy it helped. Friends. Uh, you can't lose a true friend, but you can lose friends that were never the true friends in the first place. Mm, like French cuisine. Mm -hmm. Only dramatically different. <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely lose French dramatically cuisine. Dramatically different or dramatically different? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Now, one of the things that we both had on our Google here was Austin. Yeah. Right? So here we are in Austin now. What's... uh? Man, I'm I, you know we live very differently. We've spent a lot. Of time, we've lived a lot of life <laughs> together, and we're living a lot of life together. But we also live very differently. What mm -hmm. um, you used to live in Charleston. You live in Austin. You got any comparisons, contrasts? How do you like Austin? Any complaints, uh, high points, low points? Come on. Yeah, I would say I. I mean, I love both places. Yet I can say for me now, I love Austin a lot more. I mean, Austin is truly my favorite place to be, and I feel blessed that. Amber and I's lifestyles, lifestyles is, lifestyles eyes, uh, are conducive to where we can move where we want to. And a year ago, we were in Austin her first time, and we decided we want to move to Austin. So we love it. I, I think, man, I think the people here are what I enjoy the most. And I'm, I, I mean, both the community in general, like there's a weird conscious vibe, artistic vibe, spiritual vibe, health conscious vibe in the generalized community that I really love. And I mean, specific people, too, who, you know, are just they've become amazing friends. So many of them were amazing friends before I moved here. And they're people who inspire me. And that, that's amazing. And I think Austin is geographically beautiful. It really is. I mean, I love green, lush environments. I love natural water. I love springs. And Austin really offers a lot of that. I like what you said about your good friends. And I, I used to say that, and I don't think Austin is the same place it was 10 years ago. And especially it depends on where you're on Austin, in Austin. If you're hanging around Barton Springs versus hanging around East Austin, that's a different scene. And I used to say that Austin's a place where all my best friends live. Hmm. And now you're here and with Brandon Hawk. What the yeah, hell? Oh, Brandon man, I gotta be careful again. Here. What I say, what I say. I remember oh, you were telling me about Austin 
I mean, when I first met you, so that would have been close to five years ago. So you were, you were telling me, man, close to six years ago, you were telling me about Austin before I even heard of it. And you were raving about it. Mm -hmm. And because I think you guys had run a number of Rob Ross retreats here and, and you were right. Yeah, one for sure, and all other kinds of experiences as well. And speaking of time and six years, we got about eight minutes if we're not going to break the rules of our creative constraints. So let's uh, let's shift into a new dimension and ask you, what's the question? You've how many podcasts do you think you've done at this point? That's a good question. Guess I would guess over a thousand. Okay, I don't I don't doubt it. What's a question that you're shocked that no one's asked you? Hmm. And you can guess on that, too. What do I stand for? I would love to ask you, JP. What do you sit for? <laughs> AKA, what do you stand for, my friend? Because you're sitting right now, so yeah. I understand that. It's funny. I'm shocked that no one has asked me that, but I'm not shocked that you asked me that, given that you asked me to tell you what to ask me. Yeah, what do I stand for? Well, man, I, I love that question because I don't. I love how the answer doesn't just spill out of my mouth, which leads me to think that uh, I'll say something that's I haven't said before. Hmm. I stand for playfulness. I stand for courage. I stand for connection. Uh, I stand for being an advocate for people to give themselves permission to be themselves. Yeah, I, w I would dare say I stand for expectation genocide as part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, ho I hope I remember what I said. What I say? Playfulness. Uh no, JP, you don't hope okay. you remember. You learned that lesson a okay. long time I'll ago. I'll listen to the podcast. Because the next time you're going to ask that question, there'll be a new answer. And Fair enough. I, I like that. I love how you didn't have an answer in the beginning because sometimes, paradoxically, I feel like the best answers are questions. Hmm. And I like that you got you stumped yourself with a question that hmm. I ask you. Daniel Eisenman. Google him. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what happens if you Google Daniel. I, 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 I actually, I'm curious that. Let, yeah, me too. Let's find out how. When I type in Daniel Eisenman on my phone, when I when I complete the name, it changes based if I change the type in the full name. I get author instead of life coach. Wow, I get Daniel Sears as the second one. Daniel Sears. <laughs> Oh, if you type in Daniel, what if, you, what if you type in the full Daniel Eisen? Right, right. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> then I get Daniel Eisen. Breaking Normal Podcast It's probably because I typed that recently. Mm. Good Housekeeping, Wife, and Wikipedia. I get Daniel Eisenman, author, second Daniel Eisenman, wife, then Daniel Eisenman, Wikipedia, then Daniel Eisenman, bio, then Daniel Eisenman, net worth. Um, oh, now I'm starting to wonder if there's another Daniel Eisenman I want to make friends with. Okay, now this looks like you. What's Daniel net Eisenman worth? net worth and estimated earnings of YouTuber channel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's probably. Okay. That probably might bring up. That would be the closest thing to bring up shame in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so this this estimates Daniel Eisenman net worth 143,000 
Oh, wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, maybe. I'm no, not thousand. It <laughs> estimates net worth between $143 and $1,800, 500 <laughs> I wonder what that is. That's, Anyways, but that's, that's estimated off of YouTube earnings, cool. ladies and gentlemen, just so that's, it's YouTubers.me, which is, man, if you want to. Don't, don't, you only protect my reputation. So yeah, I'll I'm protect good. other YouTubers' reputation. If you want to understand a YouTuber's net worth, don't go by their YouTubers' earnings. Like, that's, that's not the whole picture. All right, all right. You said you stand for playfulness. We got. I know I stand. I stand for time. Not I stand for time. Let me. You that. would you be willing to die for time? I use time. It doesn't use me. So I want to use time. This creative constraint. We got three minutes. Why don't we um, ask each other questions and rapid, rapid questions, rapid answers, mm -hmm. real quick? What scares you the most? Uh, that hell is real. What scares you the most? Uh, my wife leaving me. And, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Ah. Keep it going. We got this. Let's if see. you were an animal other than a human, what would you be? Dolphin. Mm, that's my answer, too. If you were another human, who would you be? Mm. I'd love to, like, be my wife for a day. Like, what the hell is that like? And what's your intention of this podcast episode to bring out the best and the best people i know what's the best way to break normal in one sentence or less <laughs> spoken like a true breaking normal I expert it, i even got a right on that one but mm -hmm. you asked me two questions in a row thank you for asking, breaking normal um what do you What's uh, do you share all your? Are you okay with sharing your biggest goal? Yeah. Now you ask me two questions. I get to ask you another question. What's your biggest goal? I don't have goals. Mm. Yet if I were like, what's my biggest dream? Biggest, biggest vision dream in this biggest, moment? Yeah, to, something that you want to accomplish yourself. To man, I, I how I would say it is continue to amuse myself by the creativity that comes through me. Yeah, that's that's most important to me. Bring it to me. And uh, what advice would you give your wife? This is it. Like, you are a queen. Any moment you waste not being the queen you are I'm, might piss you off until you realize how beautiful and amazing and Freaking ridiculously awesome you are. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, on that question, what, uh, what, how does your wife turn you on the most? Mm -mm. Mm. Yeah, a look, a look that she gives me, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it looks like, man, it looks like a. I don't know how to describe it. My my description of it definitely wouldn't be sexy, but it's just like a like a a look. <laughs> Gets me.
Would you believe me, Daniel, if I said I'm incredibly grateful for you having me on and I love what you do and I hope people soak it in, feel your inspiration to allow their inspiration out. I definitely do. And finally, I'm going to break the rules of the creative constraint because we are the one hour, 11 minutes. And on that note, who do you think I would have the best synergy with interviewing next within the next four days? Jordan. Jordan Bowditch. Okay, you said it. Hey, Jordan. I see you. I, I, I feel you coming across the country. I think you might be in the sky pretty soon. Thank you, JV, for keeping the ultra spiritual and keep being yourself, which seems to be changing all the time. Mm-hmm. I will, and I'll do my best. See you next time. Like, in a minute. Okay. I'm going to make this outro ubiquitous for the first 12 episodes. And it's basically me taking my own advice, walking my talk, and asking for what I want without being attached to getting it. And that's a a review on this podcast. A review on the Breaking Normal book, whether it's on Amazon or Audible. For y'all to start Breaking Normal and let me know what it does for you. This is a big expression of my heart and soul. And it's another iteration of self-acceptance through self-expression. And... I do believe that what's most personal is most universal. It's a great guiding light for how to communicate with one another. So if this added value to your life, and even if you think it didn't, let me know through a review. And uh, don't forget about that we're going to be giving away a free tribe design to someone that leaves a review on the podcast. So go to BreakingNormal.com and check out the podcast section and uh, be eligible to win, to take action at least putting yourself in a position to win this prize. And maybe this will be a big symbolic step. Like one small step here may take a giant leap for the rest of your life to put yourself in the opportunity to win, which also puts yourself in the opportunity not to win, which is... Both are a win, in my opinion. So let's tap into that vibration of winfinity and join us on that journey and keep breaking normal and stay in touch and be sure to ask for what you want without being attached to getting it to the people that would matter the most. And if that's to me, reach out to me. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear about it. Much love to you all. I look forward to exploring this infinite, evolving adventure out loud, authentically, synergistically, alchemically, and in respect to the divine. God bless.